Good morning. My name is Brian Wilson. Welcome to Grace Church. I am the lead pastor here, and it's a joy and delight to welcome you to us in worship, in person, or also online. And uh, man, we just want to thank all of those. Uh, I know my um, all of those, especially on this weekend, who have given their life for our freedom. Isn't that amazing? Laying down their life for us, and uh, many in our church uh, folks who have who have done that, who, are, who we have children and grandchildren who are doing that. My grandfather did that so I could be here today. And so what a weekend it is to celebrate the gift of life and freedom. And uh, I just want to thank you. Thank you as, uh, as we sort of finish out the school year and as we begin the summer season, I just want to thank you for just being a faithful partner with Grace as we are sort of getting adjusted to people being back in person, uh, this place used to be very empty. I would speak to a camera and go home. And, uh, and so now we, I see faces. And so I just want to thank you for being a faithful financial partner for Grace. And uh, if you would like to be a financial partner of Grace, uh, there are many different ways to give. You can go to our website, gracenock.org backslash give. If you're, if you're here in person, we got some baskets in the back. There's different ways. And... Uh, each week, it's very interesting, I get an updated email from Mary Jinks about new things, uh, different ways that people are giving to grace. And, uh, and so at Easter, uh, we, we had this, this special offering that went to the Mend House. It was a, it was a house. It, it's, it's led by Rico Hopewell, who will be here in a couple of weeks to talk about it. And it's a house for men to, to get sober, um, to get off addiction, and... Uh, because every day, someone in our city dies because of addiction. Every day. And we, we want to stop that. Well, I thought, hey, it'd be great. We'd just do it for Easter and it'd be over. Well, every week, people keep giving to the men house. I, I think Rico is now up to like six, I don't know, six or seven scholarships. It's just absolutely amazing. And there is a biblical principle, Right. If you sow generosity, you reap generosity. And so this church is absolutely amazing. I just want to thank you for, for that. As we prepare to celebrate the sacrament, the Lord's Supper today, it's important that we sort of gather around God's, God's word. And so we are making our way through the gospel of John. And today we're going to be in John chapter, chapter 4 here today. And uh, if you have your, have your Bibles, go ahead and open up or your apps. It's John chapter 4, beginning in verse 39. The uh, title of, of this message, a little bit interesting, it says, What happens when you underestimate the value of your life? That what happens when you underestimate the value of your life, the impact that your life can have in this world? And the answer is nothing and everything. That when we underestimate the value of our life and our life upon someone else's life or our life upon the world, the answer is simply, it's nothing. But also, it's everything. I mean, the question I have for you today is, is that why did you choose to get up today? Why did you choose to get out of bed today? Why did you choose to come today? Why did you choose to listen today? What many people say is that, is that we have to answer this pressing question. The question is this, why? Why are you choosing to live 
today? Why are you choosing to breathe today? And what scientists tell us that how we answer that question actually affects our life and those around us. I mean, why do you keep going when everything in your body is saying quit? I mean, why do you keep going? Why do you keep breathing when everything and everyone around you is saying, just give up? Why haven't you? You know, it's a simple question. Why? Why choose to live? But how we answer that, it's everything. I mean, scientists have proven that there actually is a biological connection to our health on how we answer that question. There was a study done, 6,000 people. And they asked them the question about why, and they, and, they, and they got their answers, and they went and visited them 14 years later. And they, and they interviewed the same 6,000 people 14 years later, and what they found out was that those who had a compelling why, a profound why, an answer to that question, something that moved them, something that motivated them, something that just awakened in them, let them come alive, what you're trying to do here at Grace. And they were living 15% less risk of death than their peers. And the researchers found this profound nugget. They said the big catch was it did not matter when people found their why. When they found their purpose, that it was 70 or 20, it really didn't matter as long as they found it. But psychologists tell us that that an unanswered why, an unsatisfied why, what leads to depression. It leads to addiction. It leads to some form of medicating a deep depression within us. It leads to boredom. It leads to trauma. It leads to restlessness. And if you are there today, I get it. I know I'm not walking in your shoes, but I get it. Because I've been there. I get it. And we live in a culture that, that, that has a sense that, that the main purpose is wealth and success. And only a few get that. But all of us are just climbing to be there, right? We're trying to be there. It's a scarce commodity. But leaves us empty. And you could say that we have a purpose-driven deficit in our culture. Our biggest why of the last year is don't get the virus. Survival, our natural instinct. But there's a greater why. I'm going to tell you a story today about a woman about a woman who everyone had given up. 
about a woman who was identified by her culture by all the negative things that she had done. You could say that she was canceled by her community. We don't know her name, but we know all the things that she did not do that were not amoral, that were not upright. You could say that she could have written the the first chapter of the book of Ecclesiastes that says, everything is meaningless. There's nothing to anything. She was alone. She was isolated. She had five failed marriages. She was living with a man who was not her husband. No friends. Down, you could say. Out, you could say. Maybe her purpose was to escape her past, or, but she kept living. She chose to live this day. She, she chose to, to go to this well because she needed water to survive. And so she chose to go to this well. And when she went there that day, her life changed. She met a man, a Jewish man, who asked her a question that led to a conversation, that led to an encounter that led to a changed life. And her changed life led to a changed village, a changed community. It was a biblical pattern. And the pattern goes like this. When someone meets Jesus, everything else changes. And when someone encounters Jesus, Everyone is different. We pick up the account in verse 39. We read in John 4, verse 39, Jesus had sat at this well. He was tired. He was thirsty. The two have this encounter And we we read in verse 39, many of the Samaritans, she was a Samaritan woman, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the women's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they urged Jesus to stay with them. And he stayed two days. I love that. I always wonder, what happened in those two days? Did they play games? Did they sing songs? Ah, just amazing. And because of his words, because of the words of Jesus, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior 
of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amazing. I can't get past this act that a community who had written off this woman, this woman meets Jesus at this well and simply says, he has told me everything that I have ever done and they believed her. They believed her, that they believed in Jesus before ever meeting Jesus. And then when they meet Jesus and they invite him to stay with them for two days, they didn't say, what? We believe in him, not because of your testimony, because we have been with him and we have met with him. See, an encounter with Jesus changes everyone and everything. Her message was not long, which some of you wish I would just have a one-sentence sermon. Things would be much easier. More time for fellowship. She simply said, he told me everything I ever did. The sense of being known. He knows everything about me. He knows the good, and he knows the bad. He knows when I'm trying, and I'm failing, and I fail, I hurt, I betray. He knows that I was looking for love, and I failed five times. He knows that I want community, but I feel so alone. Somehow for her, this sense of being known woke her up. He knows me. As Danielle said earlier this year, Jesus gets me. He understands me. He didn't push me back because of what I've done or what I've failed to do, that there's a sense of being known. He didn't, Jesus didn't waver. He didn't shudder. He didn't close his eyes. He didn't push away. He, he knows me. There's a sense, I believe, in all and each one of us that we just want to be known. And then the sense of being known by God that for this woman unleashed her or I wrote here, unbind her. It, it set her free. It unlocked her. She said, you know what? I can be authentic with this Savior. I can be myself. I don't have to keep hiding. I don't have to keep playing these games. I don't have to keep trying to cover up. 1 John 4, verse 18 says, "What there is no fear in love. See, Human love sometimes wants to get something from you, right? I love you because I want to woo you to me, right? But biblical love says there is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. 
And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Jesus says, for, well, the scripture says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world. What Jesus says, here I am. And the woman says, here I am. And it's so freeing that he still loves me with everything I am. Here I am. That's Abraham responded that way. Jacob responded that way. Moses responded that way. Samuel responded that way. Isaiah, here I am. My regrets, my hurt, my pain, my pleasure, and Jesus says, well, here I am. He says, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone hears my voice and will open up that door, I will come in. I love this. He says, I will come in and eat with that person. I will have fellowship with that person. I will sit at table with that person and they will be with me. The soul-thirsty, wayward woman finds life-giving, overflowing, satisfying water. She went with her jar empty, and she left with her life overflowing with love. And so I asked in my journal to the woman, why weren't you afraid? Why weren't you afraid after meeting Jesus? Why weren't you afraid? Why did you go back to the people who had canceled you? Why, why did you go back to them? None of them would go with you. You had to go in the middle of the day to draw water. Why would you go back to them? Of all people, why would you go back to your village? Just keep walking forward. Leave Samaria. Go into Israel. Go to somebody else. But you know what? She didn't think that way because she was so filled with the life-giving water of Jesus. Those things never crossed her mind. She just knew what? I met Jesus. I got to share him. I found something that satisfied my deepest longing. And she didn't think, oh, I can't go to those people. She said, I have to go. I have to share it. She met Jesus. She had to go. She had to tell others. She, she couldn't hide it. She, she, she couldn't keep it. She, she couldn't rationalize it. She had this encounter with Jesus. She, she met someone who knew everything about her and didn't push away, but embraced her and filled her and satisfied her. And she had to go. 
There was no other reason. John Calvin, the, the great reformed thinker, says this. He says, it is the nature of faith, it is part of faith, that we want to bring others to share an everlasting life with Jesus. When we have experienced him. That when we drink, my translation of his words, that when we drink from Jesus, we want others to get drunk with Jesus. The knowledge of God, he writes, cannot lie buried That Jesus is the Savior of the world. It can't lie and just be buried, he says. It can't be inactive in our hearts. And it cannot, it has to be made known to others. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people who light a lamp, right, and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand. And it gives light to everyone in the house. What's funny is we don't know this woman's name, but the Christian tradition has given her a name, which I find is interesting. And the name that the Christian tradition has given this woman is Luminous One. The one full of light. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He says, in me is life, and that life was the light of all mankind that John writes in John 1. She wasn't preoccupied with herself. She became preoccupied with Jesus. She, she wasn't focused on, on her mission, but she found her mission in Jesus. She felt, I believe, that her life had no meaning. She met Jesus, her life was everything to everyone. Because if it wasn't for her life, then how would the Samaritan village ever know about Jesus? Yes, I write down. Jesus could have zapped them. He could have just appeared in this phantom-like state and say, I am Jesus, believe in me. He could have just done some Jedi mind trick and gone over there and said, I am Jesus, believe in me. But no, what does Jesus do? He meets this woman, this thirsty woman, and what he fills her with his life. And then she is the one, she is the first missionary. It's not Nicodemus in John 3, the religious leader. Nor is it his disciples. Nor is it all these people who have all the education and have all the knowledge and all the background and all the training. Who is it? It's a Samaritan woman. It's her. She goes to the village. She's the first missionary. And I wrote down, I said, so 
Many times in the Christian world, we talk about, I gotta be saved from, I gotta be saved from this, I gotta be saved from this, I gotta be saved from this. That is true, and that's part of the gospel. Now, we have been saved from the wretchedness of our lives. I am saved from sin, but that's half the gospel. The second half, we miss. I'm not just saved from, I'm saved for. I am saved for. I have not just been rescued. I'm also now part of the rescue mission. I have not just been healed. I am now part of the healing mission. I have not just been restored. I am now been asked to be part of this restoration. That in Jesus' mind, that he doesn't want to just heal us. He wants to invite us into what he is doing in this world. I don't get it, but I love it. That there's something about it. That the least expected person, God always uses to do extraordinary thing. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. These are the patriarchs of our faith. Joseph was abused. Moses was a murderer and a stutterer. I get, I get that. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were way too young. David had an affair and also was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Jacob went bankrupt. I mean, Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ not once, not twice, but three times. Jesus' disciples, well, they, they couldn't stay awake all night. They fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everyone and everything. Zacchaeus, well, he was too small. Paul was way too religious. Lazarus, he was dead. These are the men and women that God uses. He didn't just save them from, he saved them for. A woman, five husbands, living with a man that she is chosen by Jesus to partake in a revival. You know, we have to break the lie. We have to bury the lie that God only uses perfect people. Because it's not about you. It's not about what you've done or what you have failed to do because it's all about God working through you, his water flowing through you. He didn't use Nicodemus. And David, David was the last one we would ever think that would take down a giant. The woman was the last one, even to herself, that she was the last one that we would ever imagine that she would bring a revival to her own village who canceled her. But God chose her, that people believed in Jesus. People believed in her message. People believed in Jesus before ever meeting Jesus. 
No, something amazing. How Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appears to women first before the man. Something about honoring the role of women, a restoring the role of women who have been pushed down and typecast in a society. This woman now is elevated as a missionary, as a leader. It brings revival. We never know what happens after this. We don't know what happens if, if there's a missionary center, if there's a seminary, if there's a church. I think there's a church because Jesus is there. We don't know what happens to the, the luminous one, but that Jesus raises her up. There's a study done of 1,600 people. 1,600 Christians were surveyed. Asked about why they don't share their faith. 18 to 65. 22% say, I'm afraid. 17% say, I just don't have any opportunity to do so. 17% say, well, really nothing's stopping me. 10% said, I'm just unequipped. 9% said, I really, I really don't care to do so. This woman had none of those things. She wasn't afraid. She didn't think about opportunity. She didn't think about all the training. She just simply said, I met someone who knew everything about me. G.K. Chesterton says this, the Christian ideal has been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. I think we think that the Christian movement, that to be a disciple, to multiply disciples, because we say disciple is someone who is following Jesus, right? Someone who's being changed by Jesus. And the last one, someone who's on mission with Jesus. That's what we're talking about here today. This woman was on mission with Jesus. She didn't say, okay, I'm checking the box. She just knew she met Jesus and she wanted others to know Jesus. And the Christian movement for her wasn't left untried and found too difficult. It's just part of the natural flow. It was simple. It was easy. We've made it so hard. And part of that so I don't have to do it. That's what I love about this woman. She has taught me so much. Because where Jesus went into a culture that had all these barriers, right? Men shouldn't talk to women. Jews shouldn't talk to Samaritans. Jesus didn't see barriers. He didn't see black and white and rich and poor. Christian and non-Christian. Jesus didn't see all that. Jesus was tired and thirsty and sat at a well and said, I need something to drink. He saw a person. He saw a person created in the image of God. He didn't know how beautiful they were to his father, who had been bound by all these lies and people, and that she needed to be set free. You know, I think it's interesting here. 
as we prepare for the sacrament. And then John 1, verse 14, we read that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Another popular translation says, the word became flesh and moved into our neighborhood. That we, we quote this verse around Christmas because we love the music and we want to recognize that God became human. And there's something about the word of God and the humanity and the flesh that there is this heresy called docetism. And what it means is that as people were trying to sort through the how could God be a human? How could God, how could Jesus, excuse me, how could Jesus be fully God and fully human? And so, the, so they said this, that Jesus was fully human, and fully God. He was 100% God, but he just appeared human. He, he wasn't really human. And he wasn't really tired. He wasn't really thirsty. That, that he just appeared. He just seemed that way. That's interesting. That's not biblical. That's not Jesus. There's something about the word of God and the human flesh. There's something about it embracing Jesus as fully human and fully divine. There's something about us knowing that Jesus, when you come to Jesus, lives in us. There's something about our life impacting another life. There's something about human life with another human life. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, he said, we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. It would have been easy for us just to shout, Jesus loves you, to, to put it out on a tweet, to send out a video. Yeah, we could do that. To drop a bomb that Jesus loves you. We could do all these things. Or that, you know, I'm just going to secretly pray and then maybe you'll get my mind message that Jesus loves you. He said, we could have done that, but we didn't. That how do you know you are fully loved? Is that we not only shared the word of God, but we shared our life as well. We lived with you. We lived among you. We had coffee with you. We were neighbors. We became friends. We were co-workers. There's something about life upon life, about word and flesh, about dwelling the dwelling. And I believe that we were given these bodies and I believe that, that we're invited to share 
our life with others. To not just tell people, but to live with people. To be friends with others. To pray with others. To get in the hole with them and say, I am there. I am with you. There's something about, I believe, that when we understand that there's an importance of our life impacting another life, I believe that is our why. That you are here and I am here to impact another life for Jesus. That's a disciple. It could be someone older, it could be someone younger. It could be someone living in your house, in your apartment. It could be someone at work. It could be someone, a neighbor. It could be someone right now the Lord has brought on your mind. But I believe that we are here to impact another life for Jesus. Paul said it this way, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. This woman's feet had been in different places and many others, they were dirty but I believe the Lord is like, look how beautiful those feet are. She's going to her village and she is sharing me with them. And they're falling in love with me before ever meeting me. I have to go stay with them. I can't wait until they invite me to stay with them. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That's why Jesus says, whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. And maybe you're trying to find your why today. And your why is very simple. is to love Jesus and to love others. That's it. You're awake today to take a step closer to Jesus and to love others for Jesus. That's it. Your life has a destiny, has a legacy, has purpose. Today, there was someone living in a Samaritan village who hasn't heard yet of Jesus and we are a church of Samaritan women who are ready to meet with Jesus, to go and share Jesus with others. And so right now, there was someone on your mind. I want you to pray for them right now. And if no one comes to your mind, I want you to sit here before we come to this sacrament and just ask the Lord to put someone on your mind. Who is a life that God is calling you to impact for Jesus? Let us pray. Who is that, Lord? Who is that person 
you have on our heart. Who's that person, Lord, that you have brought to our mind? You brought to our attention. Who is a person that because we're breathing today, you're calling us to share the breath of Jesus with them? To share that that Jesus is the reason why we're alive today. Who is it, Lord, that you want us to go? Who is it, Lord, that you want us to bring before you now? Who is it, Lord, that needs to know that you love them, that they're fully loved by you? And at the well, there was water that will always satisfy. We'll never be thirsty with Jesus. Who is it, Lord? I know right now the enemy's saying, ah, don't, don't do that. You don't have the right knowledge and you're not equipped. Those are lies. Those are so far from the truth. Those are lies. Who is someone that you want us to share? And so, Lord, as we come to this meal, this is a meal where we are fully known. On that last evening, there were disciples. Two of them were asking, hey, 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 when you come into this great place of glory, will you include us? One was about to go betray. Another one was saying, no, I'm not going to go betray you, but does. The rest flee. And they hide in fear. And these are the men that you chose to turn the world upside down. And they did because they met Jesus. Maybe we need to meet Jesus today. Here in person and online. Maybe today is the day that we embrace Jesus. That we just sit with him. And that we just allow for his word and his love, Lord, just to fill us and to wash us. That when we partake of this bread and we drink of this cup. And we take this common bread and this common cup, Lord. That the power of the Holy Spirit becomes the very body and blood of Jesus. That when we partake of this sacrament. That when we embrace here in a tangible way. That we are fully loved, the Lord. Know that you have paid it all for us that we can be unbound and we can be set free and try, stop trying to be perfect and just walk with Jesus. Maybe some of us, Lord, need to be set free. The past has, has bound us, uh, maybe past experiences of church or family, a trauma or something, Lord, and it needs to be, you're ready to let that go. You're ready to just... Cast it out right now. And we're trying to find that joy. We're looking for that joy, God, but we keep going to the fountain and we're empty and ready to fill us here with this sacrament. We see, oh Lord, the very word that you offered us today. And so be with us, Lord, as we come to this meal. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.